Hey there, everyone. Welcome to what is a special bonus episode. I suppose it's something we can call Kanzenshu EX. We're going to be reviewing and nerding out over Akira Toriyama's latest work, Kintoki, which we're going to tell you all about in just a little bit. We have two folks for you. Uh, Heath from Kanzentai, welcome. Uh, welcome to Talking Manga with me. Thank you for having me. I wish my fireplace actually worked, though, because I would be pretty kick-ass. Well, instead of sitting cozy by the fireplace, you're sitting cozy by the computer. Here to talk about a new one-shot with me. My name is Mike Vegito EX. I hail from Daizenshu EX. Now, the two of us run Dragon Ball fan sites. However, we are fans of Toriyama's other stuff. We don't really get an opportunity to talk a whole lot about that other stuff. I know you've posted up a couple things here and there. I'll occasionally do it. We'll try to relate it to Dragon Ball in any way that we can. But because this is such a, a different medium, the podcast, we can really do whatever the hell we want to do with it. And I can put up a bonus episode and it doesn't interrupt my regularly scheduled content. So that's what I decided to do. You ready to talk a one shot with me? I am. Let's do this. What we're going to do, for those of you who have never listened to Daizen Chewy X before, you're out there, you're looking for something about Kintoki, you're probably looking to read it, and you ended up listening to a podcast about it instead. What we do on the podcast for Daizen Chewy X is we have a monthly segment called the Manga Review of Awesomeness. What we've been doing is going through the Dragon Ball manga, volume by volume. We do a recap of everything that happens in it, and then at the end we get some real in-depth analysis about that volume. What we liked about it, what we didn't like, what some of the uh, analogies and references are with it. So we're going to do that exact same thing here with the short one-shot from Toriyama, Kintoki. But we're going to have lots of fun with it as well. So that's why we're doing this. It's a bonus little thing we're putting out there. Heath and I want to talk about some extra Toriyama stuff. And hey, we've got Got microphones in an audience to do it with and to and at and stuff and stuff and that's my story i'm sticking to it let's talk about the background story of kintoki see it's my little segue there that was a beautiful segue and, uh, by and the way. when you point it out it makes it funnier as we're going to learn about toriyama and his writing style a little bit I've later learned on that so, Heath, why don't you actually give us a little background on Kintoki, how we learned about it, what it's a part of. Well, this one-shot was first announced back in Weekly Shonen Jump in early September 2010, just this year. They announced that a bunch of famous Jump authors would be coming back and contributing a couple one-shots over the course of six weeks. There are going to be six one-shots in total, and among them was none other than Akira Toriyama, which we are all very familiar with with by now so it was really nice to see that he was actually going to be doing something because it's not very often that the man actually comes out and produces anything i think he's stuck behind computers doing video game stuff most of the time <laughs> i feel like that is what he's doing is dragon quest designs we've had some things i mean he took years to finish the nekomajin series before and around that time there was sandland we had what i mean he's done some team up kind of one shots with other folks he did the little one piece and dragon ball crossover with oda he's done some things but he's always been kind of I don't want to call Toriyama the assistant, but he's always kind of along for the ride instead of doing stuff on his own lately. Well, a lot of the collaboration stuff that he's done is mostly somebody else writes the story and he just draws it. Right, and it's usually in celebration of him and or Dragon Ball. So that's how he gets pulled because in. Because he's just awesome. That's right, that's right. This is separate, though. Now, we got a preview about it in September. There are a whole bunch of columns.
poems and character shots and author names. And this was listed as King Toki. And the character that they showed there, he had this slicked back and up kind of hair. It's not colored, but you can kind of picture being kind of yellowish or golden. It's just what you assume it might be. Maybe it's white, but we're so used to that style of Toriyama hair. white because Probably. that's how Toriyama drew it. Probably. He's got a, a scarf. His name is Toki, and he's got some kind of dream. And that's all we knew. Um, tell me a little bit more about this one-shot dealie, though. Well, the whole one-shot dealie started with a Jump Issue 45 on a, October 9th, and they did one each week for all the subsequent issues. And the very last one that came out, number six, in Issue 50 was none other than Kintoki. And it was all part of what they they called it the top of the super legend, which is the most Japanese name of anything. It really you is it's for so a celebration. Is. Yep. Now, what's the full title of this? It is Kin Toki, but it's kind of got a subtitle. Kin Meizoku no Toki, which is it's the the Golden Tribe, basically Toki of the Golden Tribe. That's a background on it. What we're gonna do is similar to what we would do with a manga review of Awesomeness. We're gonna go through this one shot. We're gonna tell you exactly what happens in it, and then we're gonna get into the nitty-gritty we've got name puns to go over we've got comparisons to other toriyama works we've got our own discussion points and thoughts on it so i think what we'll do is uh just get going here well since it's a one shot we'll just kind of flip back and forth a little bit i'm gonna get you going here the story starts off over top a standard shot of cliffs it looks like any other toriyama work some rocks and some cliffs the narrator describes a land with people known as the Kinmezoku, as you said earlier, the golden-eyed tribe. They've got these fantastic physical abilities. They have a short lifespan, however, and very few are left. Now, sleeping under a makeshift cloth roof kind of thing is a young-looking guy, and the narrator continues onward, though, saying that people have almost completely forgotten about the golden-eyed tribe. The young guy wakes up, he grabs his bow and arrow, and shoots it far into the distance. He nails this enormous flying monster, he jumps down and runs over to claim his prize, and starts dragging it toward a town. In that town, a young lady smoking a cigarette offers to tell the fortune of a kid for just two zenny. He asks if she's really from Venus, like her sign says, because the temperature there is so hot, and it doesn't seem like someone would be able to live there. She says she just takes out a fan for herself when it gets so hot. Meanwhile, the kid from before drags along that monster. The lady is super impressed. Well, Moore doesn't really believe that he actually killed it, since they are incredibly fast. So he must have just found a dead one instead of shooting it down himself. Boy brings it to the local butcher, who will pay him 35 zenny for it, even though it's just a small one. The lady speaks up, saying there are jewels inside the Thundra, which we now know is the monster, that can fetch way more than that. The butcher gets upset when she says he can take it to the next town over for a lot more money, so he gives up and pays the boy the rightful amount. The boy is super happy with the money, but the lady expects half of it for her advice, sort of as a fee. It's her lucky day, so she'll go ahead and buy the boy a drink. As he takes a drink, he asks whether she's a girl or not, which she obviously is. He then asks her to marry him. He also sees the sign about Venus and deduces that there really are aliens from Venus. But can he really marry an alien? He explains that he is of the golden-eyed tribe, which the lady feels like she's heard of before, but figured they all died off. The boy thinks he's the last one, actually. When his father died, he was told to go ahead and get married, even if it's not to another golden-eyed tribe member, so he can have kids and continue on the bloodline. He's got a short lifespan, but will she marry him anyway? So how old is he? He's 19. He's pretty short, even though he seems grown up. 
but she really has no interest in marrying him. Oh well. He thanks her and says his name is Toki as he walks off. Her name is Marilusa. As he departs, she wonders if the Golden-Eyed tribe was supposed to have some kind of special powers. So now a gang of folks show up to see the pretty young lady. The pretty boy of the group doesn't want his fortune told, but rather a date with her. She's not interested. But that's not an appropriate answer. The swordsman henchman flicks her cigarette out and warns her of speaking to Lord Barry that way. He's a very mature 25-year-old man. She can refuse, but they'll just shoot her. Some folks off to the side snicker at a joke, and one is shot by the henchman. One of the other henchmen says it was actually the other guy who was laughing. So he also gets shot. While they were all busy, Marilusa took off. The big guy says she ran off into the fields. Razu, the henchman with the sniper rifle, takes aim and shoots her down. Toki turns around, having heard the shot and the scream. It sounded like that lady from before. Lord Barry's henchmen warn him about the monsters out there as Toki runs and hops in at enormous speed. The lady still refuses and then salts Barry's hair. Alright, that's it. Kill her. Cran, the swordsman, will execute her. Toki slams on the ground in front of her and stares them down with his golden eyes. He says, yeah, she's scary, but she's not a bad person, so forgive her. Cran is the best swordsman in the land, though. Toki doesn't seem to care. One of the other henchmen wonders if this guy is one of the golden-eyed tribe. Barry asks what that is. The guy explains that a long time ago, just one of them took out hundreds of soldiers. Barry's not scared, though, and orders Cran to carry out the execution on Toki now. Toki dodges the sword slash, jumps over Cran, and blasts him off into the distance with force from his palms. Which kind of surprises everyone. Who's next? Raza can't do it, since he has a stomachache all of a sudden. Maybe Huckle, the big guy, since he's the strongest one? The old man with sunglasses will take Toki on, though. He prepares for the battle, rushes in and smacks Toki away with one hit. Toki skids to a halt and dodges the next attack, jumping in the air to avoid it. The man follows him, though, and the two trade multiple hits in midair before Toki knocks him down. Toki says the man is really strong. Is he... Yep, he's also of the Golden-Eyed tribe, and he never thought he would see a young one again. Toki asks how many others there are, but the guy thinks they're the only two left in this nation. Maybe five in the eastern country, though. Toki asks if any of the survivors are young girls, but the old guy, Kuina, doesn't know. Barry orders him to kill Toki, but he's 38 and past his prime. He wanted to just live out his days with a good job and comfort. But working for this guy really isn't worthy of their race. He gets his decision, so he quits right there on the spot. Barry grabs a gun and holds it to the girl's head. Toki says he should just hurry up and apologize, since he could take him out in an instant. Also, a thunder is coming. It swoops down and picks up Barry in its talons before flying off again. Getting eaten by one is too much even for that guy, so Toki figures he'll at least shoot down the monster for his own purposes. He borrows a gun and says that he can probably hit the target since they fly slower when carrying food, and they have a weak spot he can hit. He asks about the gun's alignment, but he's not shooting yet. He's waiting for them to fly over a lake, so when they fall, Barry won't go splat. It's a perfect shot. Toki can keep the gun as thanks, which is great since he can sell it for a lot of zenny. The girl can't walk, so Huckle will carry them to a doctor. He's nice and even carries one of his fellow henchmen. The girl asks why Huckle has those marks on his face, and he says they're to make him look slimmer, although they don't really help. She then notes that Toki's super strong, and they can work together to make lots of money. She might even become his lover. Toki says that's okay, since maybe he can find a female member of the Gold 
Goldeneye tribe now. Besides, the Venus folk are strong-willed and scary. As they walk off into the distance, she berates Toki for actually thinking she's from Venus and that she's a beautiful young lady. The trio are off on a grand adventure to find the other Goldeneye tribe members. Before we jump into some kind of meaty discussion points, what I want to do is, because there's so many fun ones here, is kind of run down all the name puns just in this one short little chapter volume thing. How about the name of the series, Kintoki? It's actually just slapping two things together, right? Not much more to it. Right. I mean, it's taking Kin, which is gold from the beginning of the title and adding his name. Now, the only other thing I can think of, and it's not really a, a pun, it's kind of a thing that maybe he didn't remember he had done before, is that there's a, a previous manga he had put out called Mamejiro, and character in there is named Kintoki Mamejiro. So he's kind of accidentally reusing a name, or maybe not accidentally. It's just kind of funny that this name for a series has been used for a character before. It's kind of a little fun, though. Well, I don't, I don't think it'd be the same if Toriyama didn't forget something right and reuse something exactly so how about toki himself what's his name toki himself comes from the crusted ibis which is an endangered bird in japan and most parts of the world it's we call it the japanese crested ibis but in japan it's just called toki gotcha it's kind of a a nice short word now medurusa this is a fun one i'm not even sure i can pronounce the family of fish that this comes from. You want to give it a go? Merlukia die. <laughs> it's way better than I can give it. Yeah, that's got to be where it's coming from, right? Yes, it's uh, it's a family of fish. Now, probably the most obvious in the entire thing is Barry Sama. It's just his name is Barry, and they're calling him Sama. So Lord Barry, Barry Sama, whatever you want to call him. But he kind of sets up the pun series for uh, at least most of his henchmen here. Tell me about them. Which is where it gets really creative. Yeah, and yeah. This is the part I like. If you take Barry and add it to the end of the names of all of his henchmen, you get different types of berries. Well, I guess with the exception of one of his henchmen, but we'll get to him. Uh, we have Kuran, which is Cranberry. We have Razu, which is Razuberry. And then we have Hakru, which is Huckleberry. The other henchman who is not a berry pun, and it makes sense that it's uh, another bird pun, so that kind of gives it away almost if you're paying attention. What is Kuina? Kuina is a, another endangered bird from Okinawa, Japan. It's usually referred to as the Okinawa rail. Rail's a, it's a flightless bird, basically, and you can find them throughout Europe and Asia. Gotcha. There's a couple other things randomly littered in this story. We've got the Sandura. That's uh, an interesting one because... It's one of those deals where it has a name written in kanji, but then it's got Furigana giving you a different pronunciation to call it. That's where the Sandura comes from. But what is the kanji and what's that mean? Uh, the kanji is Ikazuchi Ryu, which actually means thunder dragon in Japanese. So it's kind of like um, from Dragon Ball, we have Shenron. If you take those kanji apart, it just means uh, god dragon, right, right. basically. So it's the same thing. But in that instance, also Toriyama writes the Furigana in katakana so that it says Shenlong. It just follows suit with just about everything that he does. Are there any other names or anything you want to drag into this end of the conversation? Uh, not really. I mean, the one thing we can touch on is Zenny. Okay, sure. Zenny is, is actually just a colloquial term in Japan, which is just sort of fake money. Oh, okay. 
a lot of people have noticed that Toriyama always uses that, so all of his stories must tie together <laughs> in some world because they all have zenny. Well, in Japanese, zenny just literally means fake money. No, <laughs> so. It's kind of like all the Final Fantasy games having Gil as yeah. the money. It's not an actual currency or anything. He's literally saying you have like a hundred thousand monies. <laughs> monies. <laughs> All right. Well, let's uh, carry it on over. I love this stuff because as you're going to learn, Kintoki is basically everything Toriyama has ever written one more time. So let's start it off. It's about a young hero who's a great fighter, but not quite human. You can go to pretty much any work of Toriyama, whether it's a boy or a girl, like Arale from Dr. Slump. You go back to Dragon Boy with Tantone, he's got his wings. You go to Tong Pu, he's a cyborg. You have Goku, obviously, he's got his tail at the beginning. Some other little stuff, you've got Kanosuke, and he's got his swordsmanship. You've got Kajika, and he's got his whole clan of uh, powerful people, and now he's a half-fox. And here we have Toki, he's got his eyes showing that he's of this race, and he's got all this special, almost magical fighting prowess. And then you have, like, uh, Beezlebub and Sandland, who's just... A demon. Right, right. And he, he likes to use demons a lot. He does, yeah. That shows up quite often. Now, is um, we've got Kajika, we've got the fox here. Is there any kind of demonic anything about Toki? Is just the eyes enough to kind of pull that in? I don't know if you can say the eyes are enough to say he's demonic in any way, but that seems to always be the case with Toriyama. If there's something that's a foot where somebody has powers they're either an alien or they have some sort of demonic means yeah they're they're special and that's what makes them the main character here's one that i love it's always not knowing the difference between a girl and a boy we have toki say here with merulusa but we obviously think back to goku with bulma and the pat pat i mean this is a recurring thing with toriyama it's his perversion coming across as kind of slapsticky yeah well and it was even in dragon boy they did the same thing we can probably go through in each thing toriyama has ever done and it may not be this exact not knowing girl from boy but it's always a someone walks in on someone and oh my god you're a girl just girl. something like that it's just this recurring thing all the time it gives all the male characters an excuse to touch the females in inappropriate places yes and toriyama himself to draw boobs yes definitely and speaking of boobs the young boy like we were saying always has to team up with a girl for a quest possibly after saving her Go back to Dragon Boy as well. You go to Tong Pu, Goku, uh, Kajika, and Haya from Kajika. This, I mean, it's the exact same setup every single time, it seems. If you have the young guy, you have the young girl along for the ride. And sometimes she's also using him for her own purposes. At the end of Kintoki here, Merulus is saying, oh, maybe we can come along together and I can make lots of money and maybe I'll be your lover. Just the way she's saying that, obviously she's not telling the truth. It's, it's very reminiscent, especially that scene reminds me of Dragon Ball. Bulma's trying to like flash her underwear mm -hmm. and you know goku's just like well i really have no interest in you and also these women being obsessed with money dragon ball you think to number 18 and insisting that kudoden enters the tournament to make money so they can survive and they get mr satan to always pay her off <laughs> exactly is this toriyama just being his usual japanese quasi-sexist self i think so 
I think it's what we've come to expect from him. So do we just allow it because he's the kooky old Toriyama who writes this way? I suppose so. As long as there's poop involved, I think it's all good. I don't think there's any feces in King Togi. I don't... Not that we know of. I'm sure there's some hidden somewhere. You go back to a lot of stuff. I was flipping through uh, Kajika earlier today. There's a funny panel where he stops running along and he pees. And that just keeps going again. I mean, that's the kind of writing style that we're expecting. I was pretty shocked that Toki didn't actually stop and pee somewhere along the way. It seemed like the story was ripe for something like that. Yeah. How about this? Just different lands throughout the world. I mean, it's a kind of general and expected thing, but I feel like in all of Toriyama's works, he makes the world out to be a big place from the get-go, almost so they have somewhere to go. Yeah, he usually comes out and mentions some other country far, far away, and a lot of his stories end up in adventures where they're going off somewhere to do something far away from where they began. Is that just a toss back to everything being based on Journey to the West? It could be. It could just be his writing style where he likes to have some place for characters to go to rather than, hey, we're stuck on this island forever for six seasons. I guess that's a standard story trope where you have to have the characters go somewhere to do do something but it's just interesting that there's always an immediate mention of somewhere else you go to dragon boy you've got the flower kingdom that he's got to return the princess to obviously dragon ball the world is huge and goku learns more about it and goes to all these different places as the story continues and you eventually end when up got in so space big, he had to go to space exactly exactly so if toriyama's story goes on long enough he eventually ends up in space but then you have something like was it tong fu which starts in space so yes it comes back to <laughs> so occasionally he will do it in reverse um i love this one it's just the jokes we have here in particular the stomach ache when faced with overwhelming odds razu does this with toki obviously we think of mr satan and anytime he's got to do anything that requires him to be competent he's got a stomach ache it's just it's i wish i could use that at work sometimes <laughs> Um, I'd have to go through some of Toriyama's other stuff. I'm sure someone feigns his stomachache at some other point, but those are kind of the ones that, obviously, Mr. Satan comes to mind here. Well, and then we have the uh, very typical landscapes yes, that yes. we see from Toriyama. And just the way he draws things. Um, he likes deserts, for some reason. Deserts and cliffs, they're big. And I remember there is an interview where he talks about it, and a lot of the times things got, like in Dragon Ball, for instance, he would move battles to the desert because there's lust to draw. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we know so much of this is not, I wouldn't call it laziness, but for ease. All right, you can call it lazy. (laughs) I'm trying to be slightly more respectful about it, but I see where you're going here. Yeah, but at the same time, I think in a lot of his works, well, Sandland, for instance, I'll go back to that one because, well, the whole thing takes place in a desert. It really allows a lot of the characters to strive more, like stand out, I would say, because you're not really focused on a lot of the background art. And then he goes into so much more detail of the characters. Well, let's come back to that because art style is something I definitely want to talk about with Toriyama in particular, and also his art style's evolution. How about something like the last remaining member, or maybe not so last, of a race? Obviously, we think of the Saiyans from Dragon Ball, but here we have the Golden-Eyed Tribe 
in came Toki. And Toki discovers, oh, he's not actually the last remaining one. Here's this other guy. Oh, and maybe there's five others over here. And they kind of go off and he wants to reclaim his race. It almost goes hand in hand. It's the first thing I thought of. And I guess we could be a little biased. Yeah, sure, sure. Backgrounds. But, I mean, you have golden eyed. (laughs) And then you have the science, which are the golden warriors. So it's like, it's so hard to separate the two. Yeah, it really is. It's like he stole the idea from himself. You can't blame the guy because it already worked once. How about some character motivations? Tohi doesn't want to kill a bad guy. We have Barry here in particular. It's actually a pretty good scene where he gets... Gets the gun and he's not shooting. They're wondering why isn't he shooting? And he says, well, he wants to shoot him down over a lake. So when Barry falls, he doesn't splat on the ground. Instead, he falls, you know, the water breaks his fault and he'll live. Yeah. And we, of course, think back to Goku. He didn't actually want to kill Frieza. He really just wanted to kind of embarrass and disgrace him and leave it at that. Toki seems to want to do a similar thing here. And it happens in a lot of his other works, too, where the main character doesn't actually kill the quote-unquote bad guy. Is that Toriyama? It just He he wants to leave you with a, a happy feeling he, at the end? He believes in the best of people, I would say, kind of thing. I mean, we know he's a very nature-loving person, so I think that kind of would fit his personality. And it's a little weird because we know he's kind of a big war buff or at least technology side of things. And to see him incorporate that stuff where it's not being used to kill and cause destruction. And when it is, the hero is always the one to put a stop to it. It's kind of a a weird contrast with his own sub-interests. Yeah, it kind of is. (laughs) But we don't know the guy all that well. That's right. All we have to go on are some interviews and black and white pictures here and there with him and his stuff. The last kind of similarity with prior works I want to toss out there is just the random jokes and puns. But not just that. It's that, as I mentioned earlier, Toriyama goes out of his way to point out that that was a joke that that character just told like he kind of brings everything to a halt i think it was in here is the people the the third nostril and then he ends up shooting the other one and one of the other henchmen is like so i should not laugh at this or i forget what the exact line was but i mean they spend half a page talking about how that was just a joke that is very Toriyama. he no matter how serious the story is he always has to insert some joke somewhere and it usually does take up a half a page or a page, or it really stops you in your tracks. But then he, he always does a really good job of picking the story right back up, making it part of the story. Right, and I think in this case, it was when Merilusa had run off. And that's just, yes. it's brilliant, because obviously that is exactly what someone would do if they were wasting time talking among each other. Well, and it's very, um, I think it speaks of Barry, the fact that he makes a, somewhat of a joke and he, he means it to be a joke, and so these guys laugh. But he kills the guys because he thinks they're just laughing at him. Right, he's so completely self-absorbed and delusional about everything. So we can continue to go onward and onward about how it's similar to Toriyama's other works. I think we've laid a, a fine groundwork for that. Let's talk about our own thoughts on Kintoki as a standalone work. Now, Toriyama's finally doing something that's not just a self-parody or a collaboration with someone else. We haven't had a whole lot of those recently. Was it good to finally have a new, I put new in quotes there, a new story from Toriyama? I think so. I mean, it, it keeps his name out there, and people obviously know who he is. So Does he need to do stuff like this? It seems to me that Toriyama uh, is, I don't want to say he's above doing things like this, but I feel like the name Akira Toriyama is just 
bigger than some of the other current I mean, he's yeah. not a current one anymore. He's kind of one of the legends, just like they were saying with the name of this, the legends, the super legends. Top of the super legends. Yeah, I see where you're coming from, but I, I also think it helps that that's who he is. So when he does do something like this that's on his own, really does stand out. I mean, whenever he does do something, it's on the cover of Jump of, hey, we have new Toriyama. Right, that's how they promote it. And this was the last one, you said, right, of the top of the Super Legends? Yeah, which we can only assume they did that on purpose. I'm sure, yeah. So how about Kintoki compared, I don't know, with or to some of his other works in quality? Does it stand up there with some of his other stuff? I mean, it's just a one-shot. We've had things like Kajika, which went for, it ended up being collected in a larger Tankobo, and this is a shorter one. Is it, I guess, is it good? I don't know if I'd say good, but I'd say entertaining. I guess, how would you describe Toriyama? What would make it better than just enjoyable? What would make it really good? Oh, man. Is it just that too many things were repeated, that we've just seen too much of this before, and too much from Toriyama himself? I would say that's probably the biggest thing. But so it's been kind of a, if it's not broke, don't fix it. Right, because, yeah. I mean, a lot of his stuff is sort of the same, but at the same time, they're all different. He'll throw some sort of twist in. Well, what's the twist here in Kintoki? That everybody goes on an adventure. No, I don't. Um, I don't. <laughs> I don't think I guess there this is one. one. Doesn't have as much of a twist, so much as he's tweaked things just a tad. If you know what I mean. I suppose. I mean, I feel like I can go through this page by page and choose exactly where that setup has come from before. And when you collect it all together, like you were saying, it's still enjoyable. But. I, at this point, I'm almost overanalyzing it too much because it's too by-the-books familiar to me. Yeah, I'm really hoping that anything else he does, and I'm assuming a lot of what he's going to do from now on is still going to be very similar to this. Right. I mean, he's been doing this since the days of Dragon Ball yeah. and such. And this was only, what was it, 30 pages? So Right, right. Yeah. Yeah, I there's well there's no real twists. I find it entertaining. I wouldn't say it's his best work that he's done in recent years, but at the same point, we don't get a whole lot from him to begin with. So when he does come out with something, whether it's just recycled storylines, people still eat it up. I guess it would take a lot for a Toriyama work to be absolute crap, where this almost feels like he is crapping it out, but it's still enjoyable enough and there's some fun enough stuff in there for us to warrant doing like a bonus podcast about. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Well, how about Kintoki as a franchise, if it were? Do you think this is something that could be turned in and expanded into a larger series? Would just a single OVA or feature? I mean, some of Toriyama's other stuff has appeared at Toei fairs before. I think Pink was made into a short something. Mm-hmm. Um, there was another one. Oh, um, Kinosuke? Yeah, Kinosuke... Is this something that could appear maybe in a, a Jump Super anime tour somewhere down the road? Possibly. And I do think that it is something that they could... I mean, he could do a, you know, Nako Majin sort of series on this. Because he sets it up well at the end. Where oh, yes. It's an abrupt ending. But, I mean, there could be another 30-page chapter of it. I think he actually leaves this one more open in a better way than most of his other one-shots, where you feel like, yeah, Kintoki has been resolved at the end, but they're literally walking into the distance to go do something. Some of his other one-shots, you feel like 
it's not only resolved, but resolved completely. And that was the punchline, and there's nothing else you can do with these two characters. This one literally is. They're heading off to their adventure, and we already know what that adventure is. Right. So, I mean, you've already established it, so I would imagine you could go on, go to the east, see who's there and whatnot. I guess the question is, will they? (sighs) I don't think so. What makes you think that? I mean, it's wide open. I know it's wide open, but he's left things wide open before that he's only ever done one of. I think it's something he could easily come back to. I feel like anything else that he's done that's been ongoing, we knew it was going to be ongoing from the start, something like Kajika or Kawa. Right. This was just he's, done. Yeah, he's established to begin with with Shueisha that, oh, I'm going to do so many chapters of right. this. <laughs> Which, of course, so occasionally has turned into larger monsters, but I feel like yes. he sets his own price and he sets his own pace and he sets what the end is going to be at this point well and i mean we know with everything that he's ever done in interviews he's given oh i was just gonna do like 10 chapters and call it good yeah and then next thing you know it's you know 519 chapters long right he's got two giant ones that he could return to at any time and make into multi-billion dollar franchises again but they keep doing just kind of these side things with them like I said, I enjoyed it. I would read it again. I always like to go back every once in a while and just reread his one shots. So that's really nice. This was a great opportunity to do that too, because I want to go back and read Dragon Boy. I want to go back and read Tong Poon because it's the classic Toriyama story. And he's always got this slight spin on it to at least make it feel like they are different characters even if they just have different hairstyles. I mean, they're always the short, stocky guy and the pretty girl along for the ride. And even though we say it's exactly the same as this and they stole this from himself, it's still fun. And I don't know what it is about Toriyama that he can steal from himself over and over again. And I still have a good time after these 30 pages. Right. And the one character I really liked that really flew under the radar is that the little kid that's just standing there like, are you sure you're from Venus? <laughs> I like that too. Isn't it really hot there? And he's just <laughs> I, like, I, question her. She doesn't care. I almost said something while we were doing the recap of the volume because he's getting so scientific about it. And he's got these big glasses on and this puffy hair. Toriyama's great with writing these boy side characters. I mean, Shonen boy from Nekomajin Z. He is one of the most hilarious characters over there. It's always this boy off to the side that gives you some comedy relief as well. But it's just, it's a great introduction to her. Yeah, yeah. As far as that, it's like, wouldn't you catch on fire if you were there? It's like always that little annoying kid at the museum that just keeps asking all these questions. And she kind of blows him off, but at the same time, she's just thinking to herself, how stupid are these people? Yeah, but it's weird because she asked for two zenny. Do you think the world of Kintoki is interesting enough if he was to do any more? I think it'd become more interesting. I mean, he did a pretty good job of making it pretty boring in this one just from looking at the surroundings so he could always make that interesting but as far as the structure like the story well that's what i'm talking about less the physical appearance of the world and more the the world in story well i think there's a lot of things he could expand on we've got the golden eyed tribe and obviously there's more out there is there enough to do anything with or are we just going to have something like 
a Naruto and Sasuke relationship where you've got the goody goody and you've got the rebel of the tribe. Is that the only I mean, way you know could it? go? Maybe maybe everybody else is being held captive and he has to go save them, or some alien tyrant has come down and they're slowly destroying the eastern country under his orders. Wouldn't be Toriyama unless some aliens came down. Exactly. Before we start wrapping things up, let me ask you. We were talking about this earlier. The art style. Toriyama's art has become shorter and not stockier. It's actually become a little more leaner in terms of character design over the years. And I feel like this yes. picks right up from, for example, his Kanzenban artwork where everyone's getting a little shorter. I like it and I think it fits this world really well and does help set it apart from some of the shorter stockier characters from his earlier one shots of course those are also 20 years ago but right and it, there's only one character in here that you could say hey i think that guy might be overweight <laughs> I mean, and, and he even has stripes on his face to make himself look skinny i think he's another one of the underrated characters here because he he has that explanation of what the lines are but you take it back to that earlier scene where barry breaks everything down with his joke he's the one who's paying attention to mary Lucy the whole time and saw her run off he doesn't do anything but he does point to where she is after they ask where'd she go oh she went that way and then he's there at the end to you know pick them all up and head off on their way it doesn't seem like that bad of a guy no it it seems more of the i'm just sort of here because (laughs) i don't have anything else to do he seems to me like uh, i forget the character's name in kenshin but uh he was one of shushio's i forget what his name he was the big dumb one and this is spoiling things a little bit but he's actually someone else inside who's got his own agenda with someone else i feel like this huckle guy could be something like that where he's got this dumb exterior and he happens to be there but he's actually working for someone else and he's got this this giant hammer yeah yeah he's clearly a strong guy too i mean all of the henchmen are strong in their own right nothing compared to toki but that's all i got i guess before we truly wrap it up you noted that this was featured on the Japanese TV show. I did. I just, I was looking stuff up before we started and on Google images, I found this and as part of a promotion for people to go buy Shonen Jump, well, for this issue that had the one shot from Toriyama, they had a little uh, quiz sort of thing on a, a game show on Japanese TV and they gave away an autograph sketch of Toki from Toriyama and I think that would be pretty cool. That would be something amazing to have up on your wall. Yeah. And you know, we know that they've done these sort of things before. I mean, there are so many pictures of, of Goku and Arale right, that right. are out there from Toriyama that he's autographed. So it makes you wonder if they do this for every single one shot. I'm sure they have special promotional stuff. I mean, that's what they do. They promote the hell out of things. And of course, this is on HDTV. So the guy that took a screenshot of it, I mean, it was really nice quality. Yeah, we're looking at a 720p capture of whatever this is. So you could you can make avatars out of this. You can color it in yourself if you want to. It's a great shot. Ooh, that's a good contest. Color it in. <laughs> Something that going through this and kind of revisiting all of Toriyama's one shots made me really want is... A follow-up to the Jump Stars games on DS. We had Jump Superstars, Jump Ultimate Stars. I want just a Toriyama All-Stars. I think that would be hilarious. All of his characters. I mean, they're all fighters. It would be great. You you can make it like a almost like a Super Smash Brothers sort of game. Exactly. It can just be a follow-up to those games, but Toriyama only. And don't even make it all Dragon Ball. Sure, throw little Goku in there. That would be fine. But throw Toki in there. Throw Kajika in there. Throw all of his little boy main characters. And I think you'd have an amazingly fun and moderately perverted game. Well, I could just see him coming up with all these really cool attacks for him, and then all these 
these little jokes that happen within the game. I'm sure. I mean, just going by the manga, we can already see what some of those attacks would be. Toki has that great attack where it's almost like a, a ki type of thing where he thrusts his palms forward and pushes everyone away. We know he's good with guns. I mean, he's adjusting to whatever the gun's calibration is. You can see him kind of pausing and going into sniper mode and taking someone out. There's some great stuff he can do there. Could make a sniper game. <laughs> First person shooter with Toki. I hear those FPS games are the hot thing right now. <laughs> are they? That's going to wrap it up for me. Heath, do you have anything else you want to toss out there about Kin Toki? It's just a short Toriyama one-shot, but we had a fun time with it. Even if it started out by sounding very negative, I think we brought it around to where that enjoyment was. I think enjoyment is what it's all about. Because I know we get on these podcasts and we analyze and we do all that. But at the end of the day, it's really, you know, was it fun to read? When I first got it, did I have a smile on my face when I was done? Exactly. I think it's easy to mistake this analyze session as taking it too seriously not having fun with it but you nailed it it's Toriyama he makes you smile when you read this and yeah when you're done reading it you go back and pick up on all that stuff and then you want to talk about it but then you're still smiling when you're done right because it wasn't even I picked up on the berry part the first time I read it but a lot of the other stuff I had no idea until I had read it a third time same thing oh I get that same thing (laughs) just today I was picking up some of those like oh my god how did I miss that the first time you feel stupid almost for not getting it yeah So see, he makes you think. He does. He makes you think, he makes you laugh, he makes you poop. That's Toriyama in a nutshell. All right, Heath, well, I had a good time talking about Kintoki here. Just a little one-shot, like we said. This is not a regular episode of Daisenshu EX, the podcast. I'm going to toss it up in the feed because I feel like that's the most obvious audience for something like this. But if you folks know anyone else who is enjoying Toriyama's works, feel free to link him over to this episode. Because it's not a regular episode, I'm not sure how we want to handle feedback for something like this. Go ahead and send any emails you have, podcast at dicex.com, P-O-D-C-A-S-T at D-A-I-Z-E-X.com. And maybe in the future, we'll revisit something by Toriyama. Maybe we'll go back and do some of the early stuff. Maybe do some of the mid-range stuff and do similar things where we compare it to Dragon Ball and to some of Toriyama's other stuff. I really think we should. I think it'd be fun. Just do it every so often and uh, revisit Well, this. and you should really hit up Jake because he has a couple that have never been released. I know. I, I was looking through Toriyama's catalog going, oh my God, I forgot that this was even made because it never really came out. Right. Because he has a lot of the jump issues from the late 90s. Well, that's the thing. I mean, Toriyama's first foray into this was submissions to jump himself. That's just crazy to think about that. There was a point Isn't in time it? when Toriyama was not... The Toriyama we all know. And the only reason that they decided to publish him is because the editor at the time liked how he wrote all of his sound effects in English. (laughs) Well, that changed. Yeah, it did. (laughs) Funny how that works out. All right, let's uh, call it quits here. Heath, why don't you plug Konzentai? You can find me at K-A-N-Z-E-N-T-A-I dot com. We are Dragon Ball fan site, the all-knowing, the all-loving Konzentai. And when will you be complete and perfect by? What is the goal? Well, it changes every day, but I believe right now we're shooting for 2048. (laughs) There will probably be a Gatai before we get there. I think so. (laughs) Just to achieve Um, that. We know how it goes. I think you had that in mind from the start when you named your site. You knew there was some absorption in the plans. You know, I don't plan these things out in advance. My editor tells me I need to change them. That's what I do. And then an old friend comes in and says, no, no, forget that. That one looks stupid. Exactly. (laughs) All right. So we got Heath over there, Constantine. You can find 
find me, Mike, over at DaiZenshuEX, www.daizex.com. We have these lofty goals to achieve perfection and completion. We'll see if that ever happens, but at least this bit of content is uh, supplementary along the way. We can absorb it into the larger mass of the Kanzenshu EX family. Good stuff. We will assimilate. We'll all think as one. How scary would that be? All right, Heath, thank you. Thank you, sir, for having me. Heath over there, my name is Mike, and we'll see you uh, next time on Daizenshu EX, the podcast, and next time on whatever the collaboration of Kanzenshu EX decides to put out. Later, folks. What was I going to say? Fuck. I, I, I had know. something. I figure if I ask you, you'll know. I would if I could read your mind. <laughs> you can't read it through the internet? Come on. Um, all right.